Church of Christ. If you're a visitor here today, I want you to know that you are our honored guest. If you have any questions about my sermon or anything else we do here this morning, please ask me after church and I will do my best to explain to you why we conduct our worship service the way that we do. I will do that through the scriptures which guide us as to how we are supposed to conduct our worship service. It is our desire to do only what we read about in the inspired word of God, the Bible. As Paul writes in 2 Timothy 3, 16 17, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Therefore, brethren, if we sit down and study the inspired word of God, the Bible, with an honest desire to do the will of God, and we apply it to our lives, we will be able to go to heaven one day. I'd like to thank Bobby, first of all, for the song that he just led. It ties into my lesson real well. Uh, we will be discussing the issue of predestination. My sermon this morning is based on a question that a co-worker asked me a few years ago. He asked me if I believe in predestination. My response was a rapid and emphatic no. I want everyone here to understand that without a doubt that the Bible does not teach that individuals are predestinated to salvation or damnation. However, I will admit that I had to do some studying and gain additional information from Christians more experienced than myself on how to, un to understand how to begin to show that this belief is a false doctrine. The situation made me mindful of a segment that airs on Good News Today. White Oak's very much involved in the creation of that show and still maintains the, the work there. It's a segment hosted by David Smith called Be Ready Always. As Christians, we need to be ready always to give a response for what we believe. We read in 1 Peter 3.15, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh your reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Therefore, my sermon will consist of three primary sections this morning. I will try to explain the false doctrine of predestination. I will read and explain some of the scriptures that John Calvin twisted to, to develop the false doctrine of predestination and the Calvinistic arguments to support predestination. And I will read multiple passages that refute false doctrine of predestination. As many of you know, the belief of predestination or uncon unconditional election is one of the five points of Calvinism. The five points of Calvinism are known by the acronym TULIP. I really hate to take the time to explain such an inaccurate conclusion from the Bible in the pulpit this morning, but I think it is important for us to understand the misconceptions that are prevalent in the world today. Therefore, if we can prove that predestination is false, then all five points of Calvinism are brought into question, opening the door to show that Calvinism is a false doctrine. First of all, I think we must understand what the five points of Calvinism are. Based on the acronym TULIP, we get T for total depravity. Men are so corrupt by sin from birth that they could never be saved on their own. U is unconditional election or predestination. L is limited atonement. 
Jesus died for the elect only. Irresistible grace. When God calls the elect into salvation, they cannot resist. The option of free will is not there. Perseverance of the saints. You cannot lose your salvation. The theory of once saved, always saved. It is easy to see that all five points of Calvinism are deeply rooted in predestination or unconditional election. This is the best definition of the Calvinistic belief of predestination that I could find. God does not base his election on anything he sees in the individual. He chooses the elect according to the kind intention of his will without any consideration of merit within the individual. Nor does God look into the future to see who would pick him. Also, as some are elected into salvation, others are not. As inaccurate as these conclusions are, they are not without some spiritual background. Just as Satan twisted the words of God when he told Eve that if she ate of the forbidden tree in the midst of the Garden of Eden, that she would surely not die. Men have twisted a few scriptures to say something that they do not. The first scripture that I want us to consider that is part of the Calvinistic doctrine is John six thirty-seven through 39. Jesus says, All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. For I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will, which hath sent me, that of all which he hath given me I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again the last day. Calvinists argue that only those that the Father chooses will be raised to life at the last day, and salvation is entirely in the hands of the Father. Hence, salvation is by unconditional election or predestination. The first thing that we must consider with any verse is the context of of that statement by Jesus. Here the immediate context begins at verse 22 and goes through verse 40. From the grammatical standpoint, there are two items to consider. In verse 37, all the verbs appear in the present tense, denoting continuous action. In verse 39, the statement is put in the form of a condition, should. From that standpoint of inquisition, the question raised over how the Father gives are answered within the whole context. First of all, in verse 35, notice that coming and believing are parallels. And belief throughout the book of John is a schenectady for obedient faith. We read in verse 40, And this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. According to verse 40, It is the Father's will that every man believe on Jesus, not just an elect few that are predestined to salvation, In verse 44 and 45, we read that by drawing men through the gospel, men are given to the Christ as they are taught and willfully obey the truth. There are many logical arguments to this interpretation of these verses that I will save for my final point. The second verse that I will present that Calvinists attempt to twist is John 15, 16. Jesus says, Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. And ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whosoever ye shall 
that whatsoever ye shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. Which Calvinists believe teaches that Jesus chooses who will believe in him. Thus the decision is entirely dependent upon Christ, and therefore salvation is by unconditional election. Once again, a study of the context shows the inaccuracy of the Calvinistic assertion. The context limits this application of the statement to the audience to whom Jesus is speaking, and that is the apostles only. In addition to that fact, Jesus is in a no, okay. In addition to that fact, Jesus is speaking only to apostles. He clearly demonstrates the purpose of that calling. It is not a salvational choosing, but a task-oriented evangelical choosing. As Jesus says that you should go and bring forth fruit, we are not at liberty, at liberty to loosely apply this to all men, which is exactly what must take place to align set oneself with the Calvinistic thought of predestination. It is true that Jesus selected the men that would be his apostles, but it is just as clear that those men had the free will to decide if they would follow Jesus. We read in Matthew four nineteen through 20, And he said unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And they straightway left their net and followed him. There's others that Jesus tried to have follow him that would not, such as the rich young ruler that refused to give up all that he had to follow Jesus. So that option is each individual's. The third and final scripture that I will present this morning that Calvinists try to twist are found in the book of Romans. Turn with me to Romans 8, starting at verse 28. At verse 28, we read, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, them he justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. Calvinists argue that before the foundation of the world, God had selected which individuals he would save and which he would condemn. Therefore, your salvation is by predestination. There are two points to consider in response to this argument. The first point is that predestination is always considered from the standpoint of groups of people and not the individual. As we see in verse 29 with many brethren and the word thems repeated three times in verse 30. The second point is that a difference is to be made in the scriptures that deal with the absolutes of God and the conditions placed upon man. These verses are dealing with the absoluteness of the scheme of redemption. As I heard it put so plainly and clearly, it's the plan that is predestined, not the man. There are just three examples of scripture. These are just three examples of scriptures that Calvinists twist to give credence to their false doctrine. I have refrained from exploring scriptural examples refuting Calvinism up to this point. It was my desire to present scriptures from the inspired word of God as a group that directly and logically refute the false doctrine of predestination. I am confident that you will be familiar with many of these passages 
Thus I will be covering them in a rapid and direct fashion. Therefore, if you would like a list of the passages that I am going to read that refute predestination, just let me know and I will get you a copy of that list. Jesus says in John three sixteen through 17, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Jesus says in verse 16, Whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. He does not say, Only them who are predestined to salvation will be saved. If we were predestined to salvation or damnation, why then would Jesus have come into this world and died on the cruel cross of Calvary? Jesus says in Mark sixteen fifteen through 18, And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name shall they cast out devils, they shall speak with new tongues, they shall take up servants serpents and if they drink any deadly thing it shall not hurt them they shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover the parallel account of the great commission is found in matthew 28 18 through 20 i'm not going to go read that verse at this time but from from this passage i have three questions for you to consider first if it has been predestinated who will be saved why would you preach the gospel to every creature Second, does Jesus lie when he says, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved? Of course not. If we want to be saved, we are bound by the plan of salvation that Jesus and the inspired writers writers teach us through the whole word of God, the Bible. We read in Romans 1, 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth to the Jew first and also the Greek. Salvation is available to everyone that believeth, according to Paul. Therefore, it does not sound like Paul is teaching predestination to me. The third and final question from the text is, what was the purpose of the miracles? We can answer that question directly through the scriptures. We read in John 20, 30-31, And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that ye might believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through his name. If predestination were true, why would there need to be any signs to convince a man to believe that Jesus is the Son of God? We read in Acts 2, 37-39, the words of Peter on the day of Pentecost. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart, and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For this promise is is unto you and to your children, and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Peter did not limit his invitation to those who were predestinated to salvation. He also did not say that they would receive the gift of the Holy Ghost only if they were predestined. We read in verse 41 that about 3,000 souls were added to the church that day. 
Were those 3,000 souls saved that day? Yes, without a doubt. If there, if there were conditions for that salvation, then unconditional salvation is a false doctrine created by man. Were, were there conditions for that salvation? Most certainly, yes. It was obvious through their question of what they must do that they had first heard that Jesus was the Son of God. They had believed upon him. They were told they must repent. We know that they had to make the good confession that Jesus is the Son of God, and they had to be baptized for the remission of their sins. Those are the five steps to salvation that you have today. Hear, believe, repent, confess, and be baptized. This is the plan of salvation that was presented by God, who is, who is called by God. We read the words of Paul in 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 6. I exhort, therefore, that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all good godliness and honesty. For this is a good and for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. I, re I read a little more there than was necessary, but I wanted everyone to have the complete context of what Paul was saying. The two main points that I wanted to make are found in verses 4, where we learn God wants all men to be saved, and in verse 6, where we learn that Jesus died for all men. If these scriptures are true, which we know they are, then predestination is a false doctrine. We read in Acts 10, 34 through 36. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, Of a truth I perceive that God is no respecter of persons, but in every nation he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. The word which God sent unto the children of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. If predestination were true, that would make God a respecter of persons and render Peter's conclusion false. In addition, we read in James 2.9, But if we have respect of persons, ye commit sin and are conceit and convicted of the law of transgressors. Therefore, not only would Peter's conclusion be false, but God would be guilty of sin, and we know that that is not possible. We read in Acts 17, starting at verse 22, about Paul preaching the gospel on Mars Hill. We read in verse 29 through 30, For as much then as ye are offspring of God, ye ought not to think that the Godhead is like unto gold or silver or stone, graven by art and man's devices. In the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Verse 30 contains the primary word found throughout the Bible that I believe Calvinists have a problem with. The word is all. God commands, commands all men to repent, not just those predestinated to salvation. The plan of salvation is open to all. You have the free will to accept God's call or reject it. God's plan of salvation ha has given you the free will to choose salvation or damnation. 
the choice is entirely up to you. You may have thought, I forgot this in class this morning, but I said we would revisit this point. It just happened to be during the sermon, not during the class. We read in the words of Joshua in Joshua 24:15, And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. If we do not have free will, no one told this great man of God. I have presented the Calvinistic belief of predestination, three arguments that Calvinists use to twist the inspired word of God. And I have refuted those three arguments, and I have presented multiple passages that explain the plan of salvation, that it is open to all men. Therefore, I have concluded the sermon about Calvinism, which I would assume most of you did not believe anyway. But you don't get off that easy this morning. There is a secondary point, a more critical point, that I believe we as Christians must not lose sight of. Throughout our lives, possibly day to day, we are going to be presented with opportunities to teach the gospel to those who are not Christians. We must be prepared to make the most of those opportunities when they are presented. We do not know when they'll come back again. We read the words of Paul in Colossians 4, 2 through 6. Continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving. With all praying also for us that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am also in bonds, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak, walking in wisdom towards them that are without, redeeming the time. Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that ye may know how ye ought to answer every man. It is a great blessing to be able to present the word of God to someone. It is even a greater blessing if those words are effective in bringing that person out of the darkness of a false doctrine. Jesus says in Matthew 5, 14 through 16, Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. We also read the inspired words of John in 1 John 1, 5 through 7. This then is the message which ye have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ his Son cleanseth us from all sin. Are you walking in the light? Can people tell by your daily life that you are a Christian? That example that you set throughout your daily life is what's going to help bring others to Christ. We read in Romans 12, 1 through 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. 
If we are living in, a such, in such a way that others can see Christ living in us, we may have the opportunity to study the Word of God with them. However, we need to be knowledgeable of the Bible to be able to lead men to Jesus. We read Paul's advice to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2, 15 through 16. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. But shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness. We also read the words of Peter in 2 Peter three seventeen through 18. Ye, ye therefore, beloved, seeing ye know these things before, beware lest ye also being led away with the error of the wicked fall from your own steadfastness. But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. If we as Christians study the word of God, we will be more prepared to defend the gospel accurately. I am not saying that we can know every false doctrine that may be conceived by man, but we can know the truth and realize when what we hear is a false doctrine. We read in Galatians 1, 6 through 9, I marvel that ye are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we are an angel from heaven, preach any gospel unto you than that which, have, than that which we have preached unto you. Let him be accursed. As we, as we said before, so say I now again. If any man preach any other gospel unto you than that you have received, let him be accursed. As Christians, we must take time to study the word of God, to grow in the knowledge of God. The writer of Hebrews rebukes the lack of spiritual maturity in his audience in Hebrews 5, 12 through 14. For when, for when for the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. For every one that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. It is a human desire to become better at what we do. Once we learn to walk, we want to learn to run. Once we learn to run, we want to go further, faster than we have gone before. And the more we do something, the better we become at it. Brethren, are you, more, are you stronger, more knowledgeable to Christian today than you were a year ago? If you are not, what are you doing to become stronger? How often do you sit down and read the Bible? How much time do you spend in prayer? While upon this earth we are supposed to be laying up treasures in heaven, where is your heart, O Christian? Jesus says in Matthew six nineteen through 21, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither, rot, neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Brethren, it is my utmost desire that we can all spend an eternity together in heaven. Thus I ask you to examine yourself. Is your life, if your life was to end today, would you spend an eternity in heaven? 
If there is anything that would hinder you from answering yes to that question, I hope that you will resolve that this morning. The song that uh, I requested Bobby to sing this morning, or the invitation song, really, I know it's not scripture, not anything like that, but it does hit the scriptural point that salvation is for all. If this morning as a non-Christian you have the desire to make a change in your life, you have the opportunity now to repent, confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and be baptized for the remission of your sins. The invitation to come to Christ is open to all, and we plead that you come as together we stand and sing.